I eat a fry every day this summer. Go from that building site. You know, now again, we didn't mean, so maybe it wasn't the right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I should have been there, the fruit and the pasta. <laughs> OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Time to look at the opening day defeat at Manchester United. I'm glad to say Daniel Harris is with us to um, revisit some familiar storylines. Daniel, good morning to you. How are you? Um, good, thanks. Hi, everyone. How are you? The uh, new season is the same as the old season, it turns out, with the same plot lines. <laughs> Goodness me. Same, same characters. <laughs> I love. I mean, it's, in some ways, I guess, this was more dispiriting than anything that happened last season, especially in the second half of the season, because ultimately that was a temporary state of affairs. So you hope that the players turn it off because they know the manager's not going to be there. There'll be another long one along shortly. But actually, so then for the new manager to turn up and for it to be every bit as unremittingly awful is extremely problematic. My favourite new subgenre of Twitter are the Ranyak truthers who are like, well, you were pouring scorn <laughs> on him last year when he was telling you the truth. You better sing his name now. He was a genius. It's like, I'm not sure. I, that, I mean, I don't think, I think it's not about the... Rannick was a genius. He did say, he, he identified a lot of obvious problems. He didn't have either the scope or the chops to change them. But I think he knew he knew how dreadful it was, and he said so. Um, the problem is that the stuff he recommended, and I'm sure the stuff that um, Eric Tanaka has recommended, the board haven't done. And the answer to everything is not by spending loads of money on players. But if you look at what's going on above United... That is a lot of the answers. Liverpool and Man City both needed strikers, so they went and bought the best strikers available. United wanted Darwin Nunez, but weren't allowed to pursue the interest because Ten Hag wanted um, wanted Frankie De Jong more, and the money that they would have spent on Nunez was committed to De Jong, when actually, of course, they need both of those players. Then if you look at Arsenal and Tottenham, Arsenal have spent more money than any club in the world over the last year, and Tottenham also... Antonio Conte made it basically a resignation issue, didn't he, really? Where he more or less forced Daniel Levy to back him because if he didn't, he'd have left. And then at that point, if you've got a manager as good as Antonio Conte and he leaves, following other managers leaving, it makes the job toxic. And I think that is where United are right now, where it feels like Eric Ten Hag is sort of the last vestige of the club pretending that it's a football club and more than just a trust fund. Because if this one fails, if they go and get um, a manager who looks like he's on the way up rather than on the way down, and previously Mourinho and Van Gaal, the two big names that United had post-Fergie, were both on the way down. But you go and get a man who has modern coaching ideas and believes in all the right stuff and all the buzzwords, has done it at Ajax, and then United fail him then at that point, it makes the job toxic. Because what was meant to happen this summer, you hear all the phrases, cultural reboot, rebuilding the team, all all this kind of thing. And what have they done? They've signed a young left-back as either backup for Shaw to eventually take over from Shaw, a centre-back, and Christian Eriksen for free. The two main things that this team needed were a midfield player, a holding midfield player, or whatever you want to call it, and a striker. And neither of those things have happened. And more than that, yesterday, they're trying to sign Marco Arnautovic, which is just such mind-bogglingly awful behaviour that is really quite hard to fathom because 
we've done this before, and that's even before we look at all the dreadful stuff our now has done that has nothing to do with his actual ability to play football, which also isn't good enough. Um, to talk about the, the, the team itself and the performance, are there any signs of what he's trying to do? Because, you know... This is the first game. It's the first 90 minutes. And I, I get that it's very dispiriting because the same things uh, that happened last year. There is a possibility his coaching will improve the players who are already there. It's hard to, to you know find any evidence to back up that from yesterday's performance. But maybe after five, ten games, some of those players start to play better. You would hope Yeah, that, I agree. You know. I agree. I agree that it's absolutely his job to make better the players that he has. That is, that is absolutely his job. I thought that... Um, I thought they got the team wrong yesterday. Um, that he Ericsson, Christian Eriksson was playing as a false nine. Here's a player you need with the play in front of him, not with the play behind him. And um, more than that, he's one of your most intelligent passers. And one of the things United struggled to do was move the ball through midfield. Um, and also, United didn't have anyone to hit when they tried to get the ball forward. There was no one to play off. I think that to some extent, Ten Hag nailed it and the problem with this team. Uh, afterwards, he said that they started well, and that's true. I think if Bruno scores a really easy chance that he had, we're probably talking about a different game because United were playing quite well at that point. But the second that things went against them, they collapsed and they regressed into all their old bad habits. And that is, there's, there's a softness, there's a weakness about this team. And it's been like that for quite some time. And it's hard to see how you can change that without changing a few more of the players because these these players have form for that and then suddenly becoming mentally tough in their mid-twenties just seems quite unlikely because people don't tend to change like that. And although you would expect Ten Hag to be able to improve the players over time, to improve them individually and to improve the way they interact with each other on the pitch, he's not, he's not a miracle worker. He's not, he's not going to turn Fred into Lothar Mateus. That's not going to happen. You might be able to get a bit more out of Fred than others do, but the bottom line is that what you have in the United squad, I think, is you have players who, quite a few players, who might be good enough as first reserves or who, if you stuck them in a fully functioning team, you'd get a good shift out of, but you can't get a good team out of too many of those players. United have way too many of those players. Do you think that there is a possibility that... Eric Ten Hag now turns to those above him at the football club and says, look, this is what we are now dealing with. I mean, Avram Glazer was there yesterday to see it in all its glory. Do you think that there is it, it, that there might actually be hope at the end of this transfer window because of what happened yesterday? Uh, I mean, possibly. It, it just depends because you don't know what the Glazers' plan for United is. Previously, the plan hasn't really been to challenge for league titles. It's to try and get into the top four, spending as little money as possible, and maybe, and then hope that something miraculous happens. But yeah, sitting there yesterday, perhaps. I mean, these are the conversations that I'm sure have been happening for the last few weeks. I don't imagine Ten Hag has been sitting there saying, "I don't need a new striker. I'm not desperate for a new striker." Now, Anthony Martial getting injured made that much more apparent, um, and Cristiano Ronaldo not being available made that much more apparent. But I'd be surprised if these weren't conversations that were being had because what would have happened is someone would have sold Ten Hag a vision for the club. It might not have been the Glazers, it might have been John Murtagh, it might have been Darren Fletcher, it might have been all of them. And I can't imagine that what they told him was going to be the case is now the case. I don't believe for a second that they said, we will get you a deputy left-back, a Sandro Martinez and Christian Eriksen for free. 
you can't reboot a club with that. Like that is those players might all be good players. I mean, Tyrell Madassia looks a really good player. I can totally see why they signed him based on what I've seen from him so far. Christian Eriksen, we know, is a good player. Sandro Martinez had a dreadful first half yesterday. They got a bit better, but you could you have to trust the manager at some point that he knows what he's bought there. But those three things are not going to turn a, a club that finished sixth and actually was a bit lucky to finish sixth into a club that's pushing the teams that finished above that have gone and invested again. It's just not it's just not going to happen. And I, I I don't believe that Ten Hag waited until yesterday to say those things. Uh, I hope that what happened yesterday will focus the Glazers' minds on their need to get money out because really that's the only thing that motivates them. They don't care about football. They don't care about United. It's just how it affects their bottom line. So I hope that what they saw yesterday made them think that, but it may well not have done. I accept that this question is like a complete week one overreaction, but you mentioned Antonio Conte and his resignation issue last year. Where does Manchester United need to go to from here for this to become a resignation issue for Eric Ten Hag, if what you're saying there, which is probably the truth, that he expected something different to happen over the course of the last two months? Uh, I think that he he will know what's going on inside the club, but he may... I, I don't think he will make it a resignation issue, but if he did that would give the board a question to answer because at that point, if, if you get that manager and then, then he, he does one in the first three weeks of the season because you lied to him <laughs> about what you were going to do, that oh, doesn't God. look good and finding your next manager and therefore getting good. your next dividends are good. problematic. Good content though, Daniel. It would be good content. <laughs> that, well, that's what United are. They're a content provider. They're, they're, like I, said they, I said they weren't a football club anymore. They're a trust fund. But yeah, they're also a content provider. Um, yeah, a sitcom, <laughs> farce, all the all the all these many different things. There are many faces of Manchester United, and football club is not really one of them anymore. But we do need like, we do need some perspective that Lissandro Martinez will play better than that. Um, we will Anthony Martial or Cristiano Ronaldo will play up front, and neither of them is the right man to play up front. But just having them up front will make it better. We'll let Christian Eriksen play deeper, and it will then get better. Presumably, they're not done buying players. There is something just extremely awful about spending cash, mo- cash, cash money on Marco Arnautovic. Uh, I, I hope that doesn't happen because, partly just because of who Marco Arnautovic is, that would be the main thing. But also, who is signing 32-year-old centre-forwards who weren't any good to begin with to try and become a good football team? No one. And I know Ten Hag isn't a forward and he knows the player and thinks that he'll be able to do something for him. But at the same time, it's just a ridiculous compromise. And part of me hopes that Ten Hag is playing some other game here where he's allowing Mar- it to be known that United want to sign Marco Arnautovic so that there'll be an almighty fuss so that they then won't do that and will then go and buy a better player. Because I think I think we all know that they're trying to sign Benjamin, Benjamin Sheshko. And I've no idea whether he's any good or not. I do know that if you think that he is going to be a brilliant player, then 55 million quid is a bargain. Any player who's any transfer that works is a bargain. Basically, they're worth whatever you're lucky enough to pay but for that player. Isn't that the point about the the Frankie De Jong thing, which has gone on so long at this stage? You'd have to assume, at some level, Manchester United believe that what he's saying about not wanting to go there isn't publicly isn't true, and that actually he, he's happy to go there because otherwise they would have surely called off this. A hundred percent. There is. There's no way that Tenach hasn't spoken to Frankie de Jong. They know each other. They have each other's phone number. Now, Frankie de Jong, when he, when he told Tenach that he was prepared to come, 
he might not have known that he had an option of going to Chelsea, for example, because you could just imagine Frank de Jong watching that game yesterday thinking, oh, I... And even if he had decided that he came, that he was that he was prepared to come, the fact that Chelsea are now in for him may well have made him think, well, actually, I'm not just missing the Champions League this season. I could well be missing the Champions League next season as well. Now, he may also be thinking, hang on a sec, if I can go to Manchester United and be the main man and help them become good again, that might be quite an ego-tickling activity. That might be something that a professional athlete thinks is a challenge that they want to embrace. Like, that's not that's not beyond the realms of possibility. But the idea of Frankie de Jong turning up to that seemed quite a fanciful one. But again, like you don't know, like because what? I'm trying not to be totally reactive here and saying, well, everything's dreadful just because there was that one dreadful performance against a really excellent team who came to United, who played really, came with a plan and executed that plan really well. So I'm trying not to be reactive. So perhaps Frankie de Jong would also not be reactive. But if he were... If you were to be watching that game or to hear about that result and think, nah, I'm not doing that, you would entirely understand why that would be the case. Um, the only thing, your point about the 55 million being a bargain if the transfer is correct, right? It, it feels like there's just a gap of whatever 10, 17, whatever the outstanding wages are that could have solved the Frankie de Jong situation two months ago. That Manchester United wanted the player, they identified the player, the price was the price, and there's this outstanding issue of the wages which seems to be pissing everybody off. And... He's like, Barcelona are going to have to sort this out. And Barcelona are like, too busy spending somebody else's money to notice that uh, they could also spend Spending Frankie de Jong's money, even. But ex- yeah, exactly. And, and um, venture capital firms and their fans for the next 15 years. Uh, a, well, a well-run, a paragon of financial security. But like, money would solve that problem from Manchester United's perspective. They would have had Frankie de Jong two months ago. He would have played in the preseason. He would be in the team. And we'd be like looking forward going okay I, I you know I, I still the waste of the money that they've that they've spent over the years and yet they're so incapable of spending the right money at the right time sometimes it just doesn't make any sense um, yeah I mean the Dion one is slightly more complex because we know that that's quite an intricate deal so I would be less inclined to give them grief for the Dion thing although obviously looking from the outside you do kind of think there's surely a financial answer here. I don't, but I, I don't know that that's true. Whereas with Sheshko, we absolutely know that that is true. You've been told what the price is. You either pay the money or you don't. Do you? Do we think that Liverpool really wanted to pay as much as they paid for Nunez? I think probably they didn't. But they paid it because they decided that he was the player they wanted. And they're a football club. And football clubs need football players. And good football players are better than bad football players. So they committed the money and they spent it, even though it seemed like a lot of money. In the way it seemed, 70 million quid seemed like a lot of money for Alisson, seemed like a lot of money for Virgil van Dijk. And it seemed like a lot of money for those players because it was. But, as I said, if you get a player who's, who's good, then they're worth whatever money you're lucky enough to spend on them. We saw it, we saw it with Ajax as well this summer. So United wanted to buy some players from Ajax, but by the time they finally got around to doing it, Ajax had lost Gravenberch to Bayern Munich, they lost Maserati to Bayern Munich, and then they sold Sebastian Allaire to Dortmund. At that point, suddenly, Ajax don't need to sell any players that summer. So United, who thought they were being smart negotiating, end up having to overpay for Martinez because his price went up because suddenly Ajax didn't need the money anymore and they didn't get Timber and they didn't get Anthony. Now, you can talk about the fact that Ten Hag, well, surely he can find players who didn't play for Ajax 
play in the Dutch league or I played against Ajax. But actually, and I and I understand that I would ordinarily be quite suspicious of a manager who did that. But those players might well be the best players that United can get because they're not coming for United; they're coming for Tanakh, and they 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 trust the manager. So that's quite a big thing when when signing for a new club. But they're they're dallying. I think felt like it cost them with Ajax because of that. Ajax got their business done. They could have got Anthony. If they have got in for Anthony and offered a sum that Ajax would accept before they sold Allaire to Dortmund, then it would have been Dortmund that had to overpay rather than the other way around. But United dithered and that's what happened. And so, though I don't know that it's the case with De Jong because that seems like a more complex deal, we absolutely know that that happened with Ajax and we can absolutely see it happening with Sheshko now. If United want him, they go and say here's £55 million or whatever the, the or 55 million euros, can't remember which, whatever the number is, then however much you feel some level of shame that you're paying all this money for someone who's untried at the top level, uh, you, you have to trust your people who are responsible for talent identification. You have to trust the manager. And what are you saying ultimately? If you if you give 35 million quid for someone and you think that he's good enough to be your centre forward for the next five years, let's say, good enough to play in that position, then if you get that for 55 million euros, let's say, that too is a bargain. Yeah. Particularly when that is a player that you need. And the fact is, is everyone's seeing United coming. They know that United are desperate for players. They now know as well that Anthony Martial is injured. And they now know that United didn't have anyone to play centre forward yesterday and lost at home to Brighton. And the longer you wait, the <laughs> more, more I gets. thought, yeah. <laughs> if you're Salzburg, the more you're like, oh, mm, I million. said 55. Well, look at that. Do you want him or don't you? And these things rarely get better. And the whole manner in which United have been run, I mean, what have they been doing all summer? That Christian Eriksen was a free transfer. They've been having so pints even, in the pub with fans. There's <laughs> not even with Christian Eriksen. There's not even another club to negotiate with. You just mm. got to get. The, you just got to pay someone wages. And so that that's not a difficult deal to do. Martinez again, like wasn't really a difficult deal to do. United wanted him. He wanted to come to United. Personal terms were clearly not an issue. It was just a matter of getting the fee right with Ajax. That took much longer than it needed to. Such that you end up with Martinez who has to play yesterday. He's barely played with United. He's barely had a pre-season with United, which again, there was a deal that could have been done weeks ago yeah. so that he can move to Manchester, get settled and have his proper pre-season. And Manassi was a deal that they actually that they actually did well. It was a rare one where they waited for another club to find out what the price was. So then came in and paid a little bit more rather than wait for the United tax to be added to it and did the deal really quickly. That was, that was excellent. And you thought, Oh, maybe, maybe some lessons have been learned, but the other two, the, the other two deals, I mean, the, the Ericsson deal had probably some medical complications where he had to kind of satisfy various things. So it took a bit longer than it might have done otherwise, but the Martinez deal was a mess. I mean, what did they get out of those negotiations? They were told what the price was. It's they took weeks trying to get that deal done. How much less did they get the player for than they would have done otherwise? We don't know. Perhaps nothing. Yeah. And even if it was a few million quid, was it worth it to not have the player available when you needed them? And this has been a problem all the way through with the Glazers. If I always remember it with Berbatov, when Berbatov signed in the summer of 2008, you know, I'd spend the whole summer arguing with him, ended up having to kidnap him from City on deadline day. When Daniel Levy had told them what the price was weeks ago, they could have had the player... He could have moved to Manchester. He could have had pre-season where his new teammates learned how to play around him. And I always felt like 
that actually made a difference to the entirety of Berbatov's time at United, that he never had that time to properly settle into a team that was had a pattern of playing, knew what it was doing. And he never had that. And he never quite did the things that we that you hoped he was going to do. And part of that was just the way that he wanted to play was the, probably the wrong player at the wrong time. Yeah. But also, he just never had that time to settle in because United were spending so long haggling over a few million that they had to spend anyway. Same with Harry it's Maguire. Not- also happened with Harry Maguire all summer negotiating with Leicester, trying to get the price cheaper when they've been told what it was. But they'd also made it clear that Harry Maguire was the only player that the manager wanted so there was no way that Leicester were going to back down they didn't United paid what he got what he what, what they've been told the price was but six weeks later and again you have a player who's in a rush to join and not settled because that way of going about business is not the way mm. that you're able to go about running your business if you're Manchester United it's um, Brentford away at half five this Saturday, which I dare say is going to be one of the, the highlights of the weekend for people watching from a neutral perspective. I did want to get your take, though, on one of the other stories from yesterday as well, Daniel, which is the the arrival of the human laser beam that is Erling Haaland <laughs> to uh, the Premier League. He looks amazing, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah the, the world's first lab-designed goal monster. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he, we know he's a brilliant player and it will, there's no way it was ever going to take very long for him to assert himself in that way because... That's, that's what talent does. And he, the thing with City yesterday, the thing that was ominous is they didn't even play particularly well. They were, they were, West Ham were poor, so we do need to point that out. And the heat was probably quite helpful for City because City could just keep the ball. No one keeps the ball better than City. No, one, no team keeps the ball better than Pep Guardiola teams. And West Ham had to run around trying to get hold of it on the first day of the season when they're not properly match fit. So that obviously played into City's hands and City just... As soon as, I mean, I think like the first goal was a brilliant goal because although it was obviously a penalty in the end, the pass from, the pass from Gundogan and the run from, um, from Haaland had to be take place in a very small amount of space, the space that was in behind the West Ham defence. The, the ball was perfect, the run was perfect and the drawing of the foul was perfect. Uh, the second goal was also quite telling because at that point there was more space in behind because what's happened is now City are in front. West Ham have actually got to try and win the game. Not win, they've got to try and get a goal. And then as soon as they push up, you've got that space in behind for Haaland to attack. And the pass from De Bruyne was brilliant and the finish was as you expect it to be. And we're going to see a lot of that. And the thing is, is if you look at the number of points it's taken to win the Premier League in the last six seasons, five of those seasons are in the top six of points that have ever been scored in the Premier League era. And I think that Guardiola is cognizant of that because he knows that the players that win you points... And every cost, po- every drop point means so much now because of the points you've got to get to win the league. To the extent where Liverpool dropping points for them kind of felt like a big result in the first week of the season, which is a ridiculous thing to say. But the reason, one of the reasons why Liverpool and City have bought strikers is because centre forwards are players who win you points when you wouldn't otherwise get them. And for City now to have that, we talk people have talked a lot about the way that City play, where. They've got those goals where the ball's cut back and now they've got Haaland there to finish them off. You've got goals at the front post as well. I'm sure he's going to score a ridiculous number of goals at the front post. And also they've now opened up that possibility for through balls, which they didn't have last season. They didn't have a centre forward. And even when they had Aguero, Aguero didn't really score that many one-on-ones because he wasn't that kind of player. Aguero's more of a penalty box player. But when you've got someone like Haaland who knows how to time a run, and has ridiculous pace. And I think what, what, I, what I liked about the way he scored the second goal was the way he got his stride sorted out. 
So you then from your stride, I think, when you wanted to get him behind to get away from the defender, and then the speed with which he shortened his stride to get his feet sorted for a, a one-touch finish because he didn't actually control the ball. He just really, he shortened his stride really cleverly to get around the side, the right-hand side of the ball, so that he could stick it away. That, that wasn't really an Aguero goal. The Aguero goal is the ball drops him in the box and he's get, he gets away a shot before the goalkeeper set himself because he had this way of shooting where he's sort of bringing his right foot around almost from behind his ass and shooting before the goalkeeper gets set. Haaland has those kinds of finishes, but he also he has something a little bit more because he's just a much bigger, much faster, much stronger athlete. Yeah. And adding that to the best technical team in the league... It is very, very difficult to see how City don't win the league this season. They still might not win the Champions League because they've still got a defence that could easily cost them when they play against other teams with brilliant attackers. But in terms of the week-to-week of just remorselessly accumulating points, it is almost impossible to see how someone else is going to stop them. Because if you think about it, in almost every game, they're going to have 70% possession. So if you look at that from the perspective of the other team, who are going to have maximum, let's say, 30 35% possession. Half of that time, the ball's going to be dead. Half of that time, the ball's going to be in their own half. So how long? They're going to have, what, 10%, 15% possession with the ball anywhere near the City goal. Yeah. And in that time, they've probably got to score twice to get a point. An average of two shots, maybe, per game that they'll be right, suffering. So, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So you've basically got to be perfect, almost perfect, to get anything from City and... That is very hard to obtain. One last thing. Um, Stephen Gerrard started the season pretty badly. The Villa fans are mm, on the verge of being in fuego. Not quite in fuego yet, but... Talking about himself here. Very close to it. Uh, (laughs) How long do you think Stephen Gerrard's going to last as the Villa manager? Uh, I'm not sure. Again, like you don't want to set too much store in what you see in the first week. Stephen Gerrard did a great job at Rangers, but he got lucky in that he was sort of in that interregnum between Rodgers and Postacoglu. So he got in and got out very quickly, got yeah. himself, got a league title, went against Neil Lennon, yeah. scored the 10 in a row and, yeah. and, and got out. So, yeah. And he wasn't, I was surprised that he did a good job at Rangers because he wasn't someone who, the way that he played or the way that he spoke about the game was someone I expected to be a good coach in that he was a player who played on instinct. He was a Royal Rovers player who would just do brilliant stuff at crucial moments and override everything that happened in the football game to that point with force of talent and competitive charisma, whatever you want to call it. And But he wasn't, he didn't control the game. He wasn't an incisive, thoughtful passer particularly. And then talking about football, he didn't do that either. And if you look at Rangers now, they're better than they were under him because Giovanni Van Bronckhorst seems like a better coach. So perhaps I'd be surprised, I guess, still if he turns out to be a really good coach for all those reasons. But he does have good players at Villa. And so if he can get them sorted, I wouldn't set too much store by an opening day defeat. But if in a month they're still struggling, then I'm absolutely certain that he will be struggling because he's been given a decent amount of money and he's got he's got good players. Yeah, that's the thing. Daniel, good stuff. Great to have you back. Thanks a million. Cheers. Right, see you again, everyone. Have a good day. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 